0: It's time for JT the Brick. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Ranch, all summer long. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you.
1: I stopped him to a Walmart. I had no idea he was there. We talked a bit about some old Raider stuff. He was super. We went back and forth.
2: I think every current wide receiver in it, not only in the NFL, but every current wide receiver, period, needs to be at that induction thing for Cliff. JT the
0: Brick. I want to know, when you met Cliff, what your favorite play was with him? So we had a blast. We hung out in there. We got pictures of the boys with the ring. Talked to him a little bit. Cliff
1: Branch was a standout player. The way he ran his routes, his hands, his speed was unbelievable.
2: The plays that I recall with Branch was him going down the left sideline, getting behind
1: the DB, and his left hand going up, give me the ball, give me the ball.
0: As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, AT with the hour number two of the show, as we are brought to you by our good friends at Resorts World. Head on out to Resorts World and check out the best place for our Monday night football show. We'll be live at Doghouse throughout the season, right next to the theater. As we continue from training camp today, as the first big media session with the head coach, Josh McDaniel, several players spoke. We're out at practice. And now I get a chance to welcome in my teammate from the Raiders, also upon further review, also Raider Nation Radio on the digital side, too, here at the Raiders, Eddie Pascal. How are you, Eddie? I'm
3: fantastic. I have uh, I had to change shirts today, T, to if I'm being honest. You What's saw that? me this morning. I sweated through the first one, but we're here. We're refreshed. We're feeling good. It's a, it's an exciting day in the building, right? If you can't get gassed up for, uh, for a day like today, you're probably not doing the right thing.
0: I would agree. And in regards to the heat, you've been out here now a few oh. years. It wasn't like all time brutal to no, okay no. it wasn't but it was hot, and it was getting hotter as practice went down. But outside there, and I know for the suite holders and some of those who are getting invited here with the tents that are there this year and the fans and the hydration, that's a big deal. It looked different than last year. Yeah, for sure. And, and
3: I think we're finally, you know, it, it feels good to be able to see what it should look like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the past couple of years here in Las Vegas with, with the COVID and all the fans and not being able to have fans in certain places, you're, I feel like we're finally getting a taste of what it could and what it should be like. Yes. Obviously, we're kind of easing into things. Day one is day one's for our events. Uh, our event folks as well but yeah i think that if if you have the opportunity to come out to camp get here early drink a lot of water but the way that it is set up is very making the best of what you know we've gotten used to 100 plus but at some point you got to take a little onus on yourself and take care of yourself and make sure that hey if i am out if i am you know being in the elements i'm doing everything
0: i need to do to make sure that the experience is great for me absolutely what did you make of the uh, 745 presser which is something different on the West Coast for the East Coast because it was national media here, NFL Network, Steve Weiss. So you got to think about the Raiders are global and for people to see it here. But I I, love, I like that today. It was early. The media room was packed, and clearly Josh McDaniels wanted to get to work.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like it, too, just as, as an early bird. Like, selfishly for me, I like that that part of it, so I like having Josh go before practice. But I think on like a, on a serious note, like I think it does set a tone for what the day is going to be like in this building, right? I think, you know, the, you and I are not getting here at 4 a.m. or 4.30 like these coaches are. But to start your day, uh, the media day, at a quarter to eight in the morning, to set the tone for what the expectation is for the entire building at that time of day, I think it's great. I think it's good for us. I think it's great for our department. I think it's good for the players. And I think if you're a fan to be able to start that day and to feel that energy where you're having a cup of coffee, nothing better.
0: Eddie Pascal joins us. So you've been around this team really close for a long time. D.C. comes back again after a tremendous offseason. Used to be about his workouts in the park and everything he's doing. Now it was about going up to Tahoe and playing golf. And he's maturing as a quarterback. He was playing golf with his peers, who are golfers up there. He did really well. So I wanted you to, to ask you really what you've noticed about Derek with his conditioning, his schedule, his family, and what's going on with him.
3: I mean, one thing that you can never question Derek about is he's going to be here prepared, ready to go day one, right? I mean, the guy looks fantastic. He shows the guns off a little bit in the yep, sun. He he's gotten very fond of doing that. But, I mean, all kidding aside, like he's a guy that's going to be the most prepared guy in the building. He's going to be here early. He's going to be ready to go. He's going to have an, an understanding an expectation of what the team's goal is for the day and what his goal is for the day. So I think he comes in now as, as a veteran guy, as a guy who's comfortable, is confident. Uh, he got the nice payday a few months ago. Like he knows, like, hey, I'm going to be here. This staff is committed to me being here. I want to be here. Let's go out. Let's put some work in. Put a lot of work in and win football games on Sundays.
0: Eddie Pascal joins us here from the Raiders digital side. Upon further review, also you'll check him out all year long with everything that's going on at raiders.com and more and more- more on our flagship Raider Nation radio as the site is putting together these position breakdowns. I've really been enjoying that. Today on the homepage of Raiders.com, it's the special teams breakdown. What goes into that in regards to what we saw last year, new additions, depth, players, and uh, the competition, which I think is a big part of this?
3: Yeah, I mean, Levi and Rachel have done a tremendous job on Unraiders.com and putting those together. But I think you look at at kind of the state of this roster, and I think you use the perfect word. It's competition, right? I think Josh and Dave, to their credit, have come in and been very open about, hey, look— we're not taking any preconceived notions about anyone on this roster, right? If you had a great 2021, that's awesome. If you had a 2021 that wasn't where you wanted it to be, that's okay, too. Everyone is coming in, uh, you know, a fresh slate, no no preconceived notions about who you are or what you're going to bring to this table, and we're going to go to work. We're going to see you work for this, the duration of this camp. For a lot of these guys, we're going to see them work in the preseason, and then Josh and Dave are going to sit down and put together the best
0: 53 guys that they can. One of the things I talked about a lot the last couple of days is, I don't think the Raiders ran with a purpose last year with the running game. A lot of times we were up in the press box or we were watching it, and there were just a lot of handoffs on first down into a pile. And I have watched a lot of Josh McDaniels football over the years of the Patriots, and they ran with a purpose. They ran hard. And they set up second and four and second and five for Brady. And then Brady had Gronk, a future Hall of Famer, and he had the great slot receivers. How important is that going to be? Because this running back room is pretty crowded And there's room for almost everybody here. They are all brought in for a purpose here. Tell me what you think about this running attack and what we can expect.
3: I mean, that to me is one of the biggest questions of camp and and really, JT, of of this season, is what does the running game look like? Because, look, with Derek and all of the weapons, we talked about Devontae and Darren and Hunter, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what the back end of that wide receiver group looks like. You kind of know what you have, right? I mean, Derek could sit back there and sling the ball around the field all day, and it'll be a lot of fun to see. But to me, and you brought it up, is what does this running game look like? What is jo- what is the, the workload for Josh Jacobs look like in 2022? Where does uh, does Amir Abdullah have a place on this 53? They brought in Jakob Johnson for a reason. Is he Al 2.0, or does he bring something a little different? Does he bring his own flavor to the running game? And you talk about running with a purpose, I think that, to me— is going to be the big thing to keep an eye on. Like you got to run the football in 2022. You just have to. But seeing how Josh uh, attacks that portion of a game plan and and maybe there are certain weeks where it is incredibly run heavy. I know that we we've mm-hmm. talked about that that Patriots game from a year ago and with the wind and the snow and obviously that's a bit of an outlier, it but was. is he going to be comfortable saying, "Hey, Josh, Amir, Kenyon Drake, this is the week to eat, boys, or like, is it going to be kind of a more balanced attack? That, to me, is incredibly interesting.
0: Eddie Pascal joins us in studio. You make a great point because the strength of what he does is flipping the game plan from week to week. Nothing against the coaches that were here before, all the way back to Jack Del Rio and before that, they had a style which they wanted to stick with. It was going to be pretty much the similar game plan. That's what excites me the most on the pregame this year and talking to the coaches is, What are they going to do? We're probably not going to know. And then the game plan is going to flip. And we're probably going to be sitting here, Eddie, after certain games saying, man, I didn't know going in if they were going to throw it or run it. But they weren't very balanced. They did one or the other a lot. That's what's going to be exciting.
3: It's, they're going to keep us on our toes, yeah, aren't they? Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think that for for folks like us, there's got to be a level of, you know, you got to be on your P's and Q's, right? You're in, like, to your point, when you talk about previous coaching staffs, and it's no disrespect to anyone that was here prior to, to this new regime, but you kind of knew what you were going to get week in and week out. And look, there were times where it was incredibly effective. There were times where it looked awesome, and the offense was moving up and down the field, and the defense, you kind of knew what their identity was. But this year, it's like, hey, we're going to have 17 different different chapters of this story. And the chapter in week two might be completely different than the chapter in week nine. And the main characters in week eight might be completely different than the characters at the end of the year. And it is going to be so much fun to watch. And if nothing else, it'll be fantastic fodder for conversation.
0: Foster Moreau spoke today. I'm really interested in his role because the Patriots always had two tight ends and Gronk was the king. But the other tight ends were involved in the blocking plays, and a lot of times other guys were double-teamed, then they get open. This is a really big year here for Waller. We know about the contract potential. We stay in our lane. That's not our business. That'll happen when it happens. But Moreau's another guy that I don't think gets used enough in the past. And then he has a game and a great catch, and everybody goes, Where was that? How come we're not going back to him more and more? And with Devontae and Hunter and Waller, you can understand how he could get lost in the game plan.
3: Yeah, and I don't think he's a guy that's going to be lost in the game plan in 2022. I really don't. I mean, you look at him. I mean, physically, you saw him at practice today. I mean, he's a big, strong, athletic dude who showed up in fantastic shape, right? So Mm -hmm. if you just, you know, if you're drawing out what a tight end should look like in the NFL, it's it's Foster, right? And if we go all the way back to his rookie year, you remember how effective he was in the red zone. You remember how good good he was when he had that certain role to play. And, and so I'm excited to see kind of what that looks like for him in 2022. But one thing that will never be up for debate is he's a talented guy. He's going to be incredibly well-prepared come game day, and he is going to have a job on that field, whether it's primarily as a blocker, if it's getting involved in the passing game, if it's you know work on special teams. Like You need to have football players like Foster on a good football team. You just have to.
0: Yeah, Eddie Pascal joins us. He's a really important piece. So tell me about your conversation with Richie Incognito. I think He is one of the more unique players to come through. I was really disappointed that he wasn't available as much as he wanted to be. But being here behind the scenes, I know how hard he worked to try to be available. And I don't think a lot of fans understand how difficult it is to get ready when you come out of an injury. When that guy was rehabbing his ass off to get back on the field, his body just wouldn't let him do it at the rate that mentally he wanted to do it. What type of closure has this been for him? How hard was that conversation?
3: You know, it was really interesting, man. I think you said it perfectly. Like, if you're, you know, putting up your—and I'd love to hear This is a great conversation for us over beers one day. Your top 10 interesting Raiders. Maybe not your best Raiders. that's a great point. But your top 10 interesting, just fantastic story in some way, shape, or form Raiders. But in, in talking to Richie, I mean, he's a guy who you can tell how much it hurt him not to be out there. And, and he was very open and honest about it. He's like, look, man, I'm a guy in my late 30s. I don't, I don't remember the 10 years in me, but I, he it was very important for him that he kind of came back for this final chapter, which ultimately started in Oakland and then ended here. It was important for him that he went out on his terms and he had a chance to kind of rewrite that final chapter mm-hmm. for himself. And, and I think the biggest thing for me in, in talking to Richie is hearing how important it was that after it became pretty clear to him, like, hey, I'm not going to play anymore in 2021, that he got back in this building and mentored and coached up the young guys on that line. And you see the guys that showed up to his press conference. Brandon Parker was there. Leatherwood was there. Colton Miller was there. And I think that says a lot that a week before camp, when all these guys you know, there would be no one judging him if they were out enjoying their last hurrah. If they were sitting on the beach having a mai tai, they were here to show respect and admiration for a guy that didn't play a whole lot of Raiders football, but indelibly left a mark on them.
0: Uh, you got a lot out of him. That was really important. Did you sense Eddie that he could be a coach? Do you sense because he played in the modern era where he made money, but you know, he's a guy that I don't know what he wants to do in the next stage of his life. But he really seems like he'd be that type of offensive line coach you'd want in the building or someone. Being groomed to be an offensive line coach that could really mentor players, but also have that nasty edge.
3: Yeah, I think what really stood out to me is he's a guy who's open to possibility, right? He's a guy who's open to opportunity, and you and I have seen enough, you know, guys come through here. It's not a bad thing at all. But guys who just say, "Hey, you know what? That's this isn't for me. I enjoyed my time in the NFL, but I want to go do this next thing with my family and business and real estate, whatever it is." But he's a guy who wants to stick around the game. He's a guy that wants to be open to whatever opportunities may come his way. And I think that's important for him as he goes into this next chapter. One thing that he really kind of hammered to me, he goes, look, I had a plan. I purposely went into this final chapter with a plan. I I couldn't, for me, it doesn't work to not have a plan and kind of know what's next. So I think he has a great idea of what's to come, but he's certainly leaving himself that wiggle room to to be involved in some
0: capacity. Eddie Pascal, as we wrap it up. So I'm looking at the schedule here, and I just like your thought being around the team and being here this long. The Chargers and Tennessee are the first two road games. So the Chargers... There's no doubt that there'll be more Raider fans than Charger fans because they have the ability to get those tickets early. I don't see the Chargers making this big stand within the organization that this is the year they're going to keep the Raiders out because I've been around a little bit longer than you, and when Marty Schottenheimer pulled that crap in in San Diego and said you got to keep the Raider fans out, all that did was inspire Raider fans to come in. But that is going to be a really tough game. And then the Tennessee game coming off the Arizona home opener. We, we know they're going to run the ball. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're going to do. And Tannehill has got a lot to prove. It seems like this is his bounce back year and he better have something because he doesn't want to mentor the guy looking to take his job. Walk me through the first three games and what you're sensing here as it's at Chargers, Cardinals at home, and at Tennessee. You know, I – the week one is always a bit of a mystery to me. It is.
3: Right? I mean, it's like, you know, if you go out and you win by 42, you go out and you lose by 42. Like, nine times out of ten, that's not going to be an indication of who you are for that season. Week one is just weird. You mm-hmm. know that. It's a funky, one-off, weird, especially with guys, how little they play in the preseason. Yeah, now, absolutely. It's just a unique kind of live in its own world game. For me, I think it's it is week three. It's that Titans game, I think with two games under your belt and, and the Raiders you know hopefully have a, a, you know a pair of wins, mm. but to go into Tennessee, a team that is a really good football team. and the one thing that we don't talk about enough is when you go to Tennessee, have you ever think uh, mm. crack your, your mind a little bit here. Have you ever gone to Tennessee when the weather's nice?
0: No, and that's a really good point because it's either it's hot, wet. it's either it's either hot as hell or it's forty degrees, it's, and it could be wet there and it mm-hmm. could be kind of sloppy there. That's that's a really good point, and I would assume on that game when we're looking at the twenty fifth of September, it could be really humid. It could be one of those hot games there, which I think would be advantage writers where they're training out here and what we're doing. Yeah, with I, I would think
3: so too, but I, I mean that's it's a game that is very interesting to me because of the weather, because hey, who's gonna you know, who's gonna can be able to establish the run? Like there's a lot of intrigue in that game. And yes, the home opener is gonna be awesome and who isn't gonna be excited for that game. But week three is one where I go huh, like this is an interesting place where the Raiders are going to be able to at least kind of have a little bit of a gauge of who they are and what they want to be. And and certainly you're not at the quarter point yet in the season, but you are getting a better idea of what this team is going to be capable of.
0: Absolutely. Wrapping it up with Eddie Pascal. So what have you learned about Cliff Branch and Richard Seymour going into Canton? This has an opportunity to be super special. The turnout of the alumni, Mark Davis, inducting Cliff, playing in the game, Having the Hall of Famers like Freddie B and the ones who are already in going to be there, I'm calling it the perfect storm. This sets up beautifully for the Raiders. Not so much win or lose in that game. That game's secondary to be not Coach McDaniel. No, who certainly made it not. Today. Yeah, he made it today. That's yeah. that's very important to him. But for the fans who are coming in full force, and you know what this means to the alumni, what are you looking forward to the most? I mean, I think I'm just.
3: You know, frankly, looking forward to Cliff posthumously, unfortunately, yeah. having kind of his moment in the sun, right? I think that one thing, and you and I have talked about this before, that that I will be eternally grateful for this organization for, is they do, in my opinion, a better job of educating their players and their staff about the importance of their history. And yes, I have a little old man in me where I enjoy that that kind of, you mm-hmm. know, throwback era, that that education of players before. But I think for a place like this, Mark Davis says it's all, Mark Davis says it's all the time. They are the most. They are the DNA of this place. The former players, the alumni. So the fact that from the, the tippy tippy top down, that the players and the staff are educated about the importance of these guys, these men and women that came before us, I think is is incredible. And so to ha- be able to learn uh, about Cliff a lot more over the past couple years, and especially towards the end of his life, I met him a handful of times. Santa, Ro- he was living in Santa Rosa. I went to yeah. high school, so North North Bay guy like me. But to have him get his moment in the sun, for his family to be able to sit there and say, hey. I know it's too late. It didn't come when we wanted to, but at the end of the day, Cliff is a Hall of Famer. I think just the very human, emotional side of it is going to be really powerful.
0: Uh, lastly, with uh, everything you do on the podcast and digital side and the access, you've got a new coach and GM here and new players. Give us some expectations here, what you're putting up on the calendar, what you want to do, because especially what the site's doing with the position battles, what are you trying to accomplish in the preseason to get the new fans to learn more about the team?
3: Well, I think for all of us, our entire silver and black productions umbrella from from Brad all the way down, I mean, our our goal is to tell the story of this team, right? I mean, there's 90 guys on this roster, there's 90 stories, and ultimately we'll have the story of the 2022 Raiders. So whether that's in video, in written form, in a podcast, in our fantastic relationship with 920, I mean, our job is to tell the story of this team and to do it better and the one thing that we can provide is that access to these players and the staff that a lot of other folks don't get so we're really excited certainly the training camp for us we're
0: still kind of ironing some things out but we're ready to go give me a young rookie or someone that you've just been surprised with hey you had a one-on-one and you met him and you're all saying wow This is special. This is someone who could really pop from a media perspective.
3: Well, we actually, funny enough, we sat down with Trayvon Merrick earlier, and I think Trayvon is is really good at the media stuff in general, but I was telling some of our production guys in the back that he is just better in 2022. I think he's more comfortable being on camera. I think he's, he was already an incredibly well-spoken, articulate guy, but he just just struck me as a dude who was just like, okay, I've done this before. I know I can do this and I'm willing to be a little bit more open, a little more transparent. So uh, he's a guy who we're expecting big things from off the field, but excuse me, on the field, but off the field, I think he's gonna be a great quote too.
0: Thank you, Eddie. I'll see you in in Canton. Take care. Eddie Pascal, check out all his work at Raiders.com. They do a tremendous job Capturing all this content man And you got a new coaching staff You have a new general manager This is brand new for all of us here For me, for Eddie, everybody is here As we're getting to know everybody And they're going to do a great job As we count down to Canton So here's what we got the rest of the way I'm going to get to baseball We got some games going on in progress We're going to talk about the Kyla Murray extension today Which is the biggest story in the NFL Some Raider news and some sound from the other players That spoke today so appreciate Grimaldi's as we kick off this hour of the show. Best pizza I ever had. Head on out to the four locations here in the Valley. When we come back, we'll take your call, 702-365-9200. And if you missed the press conference with Josh McDaniels today, it's up at Raiders.com. All the other players who are available and what we're going to see tomorrow and throughout the weekend as we count down. It's the summer of Cliff Branch, and at any moment you have a cliff thought, give it to us here on the flagship of the Silver and Black.
2: The Raiders have been famous for their colorful players, adversarial style, and winning tradition. Another trademark that has lasted throughout team history has been the long pass. Whiteouts such as Art Powell, Warren Wells, and contemporary star Tim
1: Brown have all been productive deep threats, but no Raider was more feared by opposing defensive backs than Cliff Branch. Whether the quarterback was LaMonica, Stabler, or Plunkett,
0: Branch was always the target when yards were needed in a hurry. Branch's reception totals were gaudy, but what was even more impressive was that most of his big plays came when the
1: Raiders were staring in the face of defeat.
3: We always talked about the big bad Raiders, and here we had a hide. We had a parade Cliff Branch out there. It was 155 pounds. He was so skinny his back pockets would fight when he'd walk.
0: John Madden on Cliff Branch. It's the summer of Cliff, and I am requesting and asking nicely if everybody would call in on Cliff. We're going to Canton next week. Or we're getting really close to that, and we want to hear from you. As a matter of fact, we're going to canton the week after that. Uh, Next Friday, so not tomorrow, but the following Friday on the 29th, I'll be doing my podcast series from Virgin Hotels Las Vegas right in the lobby. We're going to have some really cool special guests from a Raider alumni to an owner of a restaurant uh, to a singer, a performer. It's going to be really cool and very unique. Uh, Head on out to Virgin Hotels Las Vegas once a month. I'll be doing a live podcast series for the hotel, which is going to be really cool, something I've never done before. We're going to have about three or four guests during every podcast to a live audience, and it's going to be someone unique. It could be the owner, Michael Morton, the famous Morton Steakhouse, Michael Morton, who now owns one steakhouse. We could have Marcus Arroyo, the head coach of UNLV. We could have Fred Bolitnikoff, an alumni here. It kicks off on the 29th from 4 to 6 p.m. Come check out my podcast series at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas, which has a great history, that piece of real estate here in Vegas. And I'm looking forward to that starting a week. From Friday, we're taking your phone calls on Cliff Branch. And what you want to know as we open up training camp today, it was really cool 24 years ago in a training camp today, and today was the first day of school. Pretty emotional day for me today. I got up at the crack of dawn. My wife and my son are driving to Oklahoma today. It's 14, 15 hours. So gave my son a big hug on my front lawn, and they're driving, and they've gotten through Flagstaff and they're on their way to Albuquerque, and after Albuquerque, Oklahoma City, before they get to Norman, and they're listening now. So an emotional day as I said goodbye to my son as he's embarking on his senior year in college, and I won't see him till Raiders bye week, and I told my wife, I think that's the longest I've ever gone in my life without seeing any of my kids, and this is going to be a long stretch. So pretty emotional day today as I got a chance to say goodbye to him, and then came here and You know, Coming from Summerlin over to Henderson, no traffic, beautiful, got off, drove by the new ACES facility. Man, that's going up fast. That is going up really fast, and then going out to practice. But sitting in front of Josh McDaniels as he met the media was pretty cool. You could tell. You saw the excitement. You could see it. You could just see it in his face and in his smile. He wanted to get to work today like the first day of school with all the veterans here. Also, we mentioned Kyler Murray got his contract extension. So it's 230 million, not all of it guaranteed, 160 million is. Kind of nice, huh? It's not Deshaun Watson's 230 million guaranteed, but it's pretty close. And he's the second highest paid quarterback now on an annual basis behind Aaron Rodgers. Kyler Murray's making more money and will be making more money than Patrick Mahomes. Let that sink in. And if you look at what the Raiders are doing here, if you look at what the Raiders are doing with the quarterback position, before the bye week, they play Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. Want to hear that again? That's why this schedule is pretty tough. Now, Derek Carr can beat any of those guys, and he has. He's beaten Patrick Mahomes. But to open up with Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Ryan Tannehill in a prove-it year, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes... That's a pretty tough part of the schedule, and it's right out of the gate before the bye week, and the bye week comes week six. So the Raiders, this, this training camp is really important for their cardio, for their ability to be in shape, and their ability to play in different types of weather and be ready to play quickly. I told you we'd have a baseball guest, and we just got him, one of my good friends. And this is a guy I'm going to podcast with, Josh Towers, former Major League pitcher who lives here in town, works for Vison. He pitched for the Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, and my Yankees. And he's kind enough to join us coming off the all-star game and break as baseball is underway. Josh, thanks for coming on today. I know your schedule's busy. And let's begin with the possibility. You watch it. They could have had a home run derby in the 10th inning. I didn't like that possibility. But what did you think when you heard that news? What's up, my good friend?
2: Uh, Listen, man, uh, I'm not a fan... JT, uh, of all the rule changes and all the different things we do in baseball, I I think that, you know, we already know you can't compare generational stats when we're looking at all this stuff for Hall of Fame and whatnot and trying to compare somebody from our era to somebody. It just doesn't work. There's just too many things have changed. Um, But i got to tell you, I was actually down for it. I mean, there's a lot of these Mm -hmm. guys that we all want to be all-stars. We all want to play in an all-star game, that's for sure. But for pitchers, we saw a lot of guys not get in. I know Shohei started the first game back, and there's, there's routine-oriented stuff that we, we have to be protected and, and protect ourselves. So it was actually the one thing that I was kind of hoping we had a tie. I wanted to see a home runoff, but I also wanted to see three guys from each side get in who did not participate in the home run derby, who maybe didn't start the game. You know, I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that if we're going to, bring 80-plus dudes to an all-star game and give everybody, as it's been floating around, participation trophies. Let's make sure we get everybody in the game.
0: Yeah, Josh, that's interesting you say that, 80-plus. I saw your retweet from Ken Rosenthal. I know you're talking about that. And, you know, as a pitcher, as a pitcher, to come in in the 10th inning or the 11th inning in a legendary game, because the point I was trying to make is when a game goes to extra innings, which is very rare, almost impossible – that all star game automatically becomes legendary. And if you had to hold back two pitchers just in case, or a pitcher and use that pitcher, that pitcher's in a really, really tough spot. And as a former pitcher, that'd be kind of cool. You don't start the game, you don't come in second or third, and then all of a sudden you're in the bullpen going, man, it's the eighth inning. We're tied up. They might use me. No, I'm, I'm like, again, I'm down for it because like like Pete Rose
2: always said it best, like if you, if you sign and, and I'm not quoting Pete, don't uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. paraphrase here, but if you want to uh, even get close to my hit total record, you might want to play some extra-winning baseball games. And we've taken that <laughs> away. I mean, what do we have? I think it was Whit Merrifield broke his streak. He had 500 and something consecutive games played for the Royals, and, and that broke the other day. And that was the most impressive streak going, and I think maybe Greg Olson, not Olson, not Greg, but Olson with Matty Olson with the Braves has the yeah. next one. Like, these records are... We know nobody's ever going to catch Cal's record. We get that, and we get the money and how it has changed the way we, 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 we play our guys. But at some point, like, they have to play. And, and if we're going to compare records, if we're going to talk about this, if we're going to talk about what winning means and, and the teaching of winning and all this other stuff, Pete Rose is right. You might want to play some extra inning games. You guys might want to go out there and play nine and get dirty. And, and, and that's kind of lost. And, and I don't blame JT. I don't think you do either. I don't blame the players. Um, mm-hmm. But it is easy when I'm making 20, 30, 40 million dollars to take a day off it. I don't fight it as much when my coach says I'm not in the lineup today, but these guys that sit up top that haven't necessarily played that, that make some of these decisions, they don't, they don't get it either. And, and, and there's a lot of the, maybe the true art of the game, the, true, the history of the game, the true passion of the game. there's a lot of things that are lost. In today's era, and, and not playing enough, uh, you know, obviously is a major factor.
0: Josh Towers joins us, former big league pitcher. Now you can catch him on Vison. and And Josh, what do you what do you make now about Juan Soto? and turning down the 440 for 15 years. Well, those contracts, I thought, went out and died. I didn't think we were going past 10. I thought that was the purpose in the conversation the last couple of years because of the pool holds contract. And look at Trout and what he signed, and he's getting injured, and his team's 10 games out of the wild card. Do you think that the Yankees and the Mets are the front runners now that he could be available to pull off a blockbuster deal? What do you think the good fit is for him?
2: I... um. Yeah, I <laughs> I think it's easy to get injured and not play as much when you make a ton of money. I And I get mm-hmm. it with Soto. Um, you know, Bryce Harper gave him some advice when he first came up because I think Bryce realized how great this, this of a player, this young man is. And I, I love him. I love everything about him. I think the coolest thing about Soto was when he showed up at Dodger Stadium during the postseason and he was wearing his Trey Turner jersey in the stands. Like, I just I love everything about the kid. I, I, he's a, he's an amazing baseball player. Um, but I, I think that at $29 million a year, um, the 440 is beautiful. The 15 years is massive. The 29 a year maybe didn't get it done for him. And, and I also think, and I don't know, because the GM of the Nationals, I was a big fan of when I played, and, and he was my boss at one point. And I think he's a great man, and I think he does a great job. But, um, you know, he tried to, from what I understand, he tried to defer like $100 million of Bryce's contract. Instead of, you know, Mm -hmm. paying Bryce what he was doing, look what he did over Philadelphia. He went there the first year and won an MVP, and he was about to win it again this year until Blake Snell hit him in the hand. Um, I, I just feel when you look back at some of these contracts, I think the Nationals messed up. And they messed up. They could have kept Bryce. And I think they could have kept Soto as well. They could have kept this entire dynasty intact. And this was one of the most amazing teams I think we've seen since the early Yankees of the, of the 2000s and the late 90s and of that Seattle Mariners team back in the turn of the century as well. This, this team was loaded. And I think sometimes it's the agent in Boris. I'm not a fan, and I think he does a lot of things wrong. Sometimes it's the, the, the player probably wanted a lot of this. He probably wanted the money. He probably wanted some of it. He probably was okay. Um, and I, I think that the GM and the Nationals might have messed up as well. So I, I don't know who's fully to blame. I know Soto knows he's going to get $400 million if he wants it. He's going to probably get 500 if he wants it. We look back at mm-hmm. Mookie Betts' deal and we look back at some of these other deals and, and Soto knows he's younger and better. And so I think he's more in the 10 to 12 years of $440 million, and that's why they didn't get it done.
0: Josh Towers, as we wrap it up, former big-league pitcher for the Orioles, the Jays, and the Yankees. Finally, hey, Josh, hey, you look at you this from you...
2: – Before you go any further, what do you think about – the? okay, so the Orioles have now finally turned the corner. Mm-hmm. They're 86 in pieces. they got these young kids finally coming up. Their minor league system is one of the most loaded systems in all of baseball. They have prospects. Uh, I mean, I can go on for days about how good these kids are. And if they're this close to winning and they're above 500 right now, What about them being a trade to bring Soto over and give up some of these pieces that we wouldn't even see the big league team affected in a negative way at all? I think this would be a great fit for them.
0: Yeah, I just don't trust the ownership there in Baltimore. I know that puts you in a tough spot. I just don't know if they're in the business of pulling off a deal like that or, nor hey, if they want to. No. I'd say, I'd say the same thing about the A's. I'd say the same thing about Tampa. I'd say the same thing about a lot of organizations in sports that I don't know, Josh, if they're fully committed to do a deal like that, little on a blockbuster deal, if ownership has the guts to do it. Yeah, I, I mean,
2: listen, they have what it takes internally to to trade. At. It's not like what the Braves, gave up five prospects to get Olsen, right? These guys have, they can give up ten prospects, and the minor league system wouldn't be even noticed. That's how deep they are. But then wow. you're right, is the, is the Major League Cup willing to give them that contract? And are they willing to bring in another pitcher or two? Because they can compete next year if they do this.
0: Josh, last one from a gaming perspective. You know, I'm a big Yankee fan, and... Your time there, I think it's I think it's gone from the beginning of the year, hey, the Yankees are really good and they're off to a great start. To now, it almost feels like World Series are bust. I know the Dodgers are waiting in the National League. The Astros match up really well against the Yankees. They, they're they tougher at times mentally in those series. They're not intimidated to play in the Bronx. Altuve's the greatest Yankee killer since Big Pope. Pope, handicap how you see the American League with the Yankees as the favorite to match up in the Dodgers. Who do you have coming off the All-Star break?
2: Yeah, I think the Houston Astros are the best team in baseball. I think top to bottom, they're the best team, yeah. especially at home. The best team. Their pitching staff. I, I try to explain this to everybody. Their young pitching staff. All these kids, Framber Valdez might be my favorite. Him and and Garcia and these kids. They they grew up in in Major League Baseball. They came up in the postseason era. They they grinded and cut their teeth playing in the postseason. Yeah. So. It's not like what we saw with, like, Gonsolin. He's never pitched in the eighth or ninth inning of a regular season game. He doesn't know what the postseason necessarily tastes like, and they're very similar, those two things. And so all of a sudden, the highest-pressured, most exciting moment, him and Shane McClanahan, a young rookie for Tampa, couldn't control what they were doing. The ball was up, and they both got tattooed a little bit because of nerves. The the Houston Astros, those kids don't have those exact nerves because they got those out in the postseason a long time ago. And so the rest is just what it is. So I think Houston is by far the most dangerous team. They get uh, Jordan Alvarez back right after the All-Star break. So luckily for them, that wasn't a big Mm -hmm. injury. Um and so I think they are the most dangerous. I, I love the Yankees. Don't get me wrong, JT. And I know you do. Uh Jamison Tyone still has a lot of growing up to know, even though he's a veteran of great stuff. Nestor Cortez, we've seen him slip a little bit since he caught his fame, and we don't know what he's gonna do in those big moments. Severino has to stay a little bit more healthy. We know what Garrett Cole's gonna give. And Jordan Montgomery, I love him. I think he's gonna be fantastic down the road. I wish I pitched like him, but he also isn't getting run support. One and two. We have a lot of unknowns about Jordan. So, as good as this Yankee team is, they're not going to go and win based on offense. And this team is, everybody has picked each other up, and that's what's the coolest thing about this team. But I think once the, once the postseason comes around, are they as prepared and can they check their emotions and their adrenaline as much as what I think Houston can? And that brings the Dodgers in play, like you said. The Dodgers have a more experienced team. But listen, they're relying a lot on Gonslin, who I think is a, he's a winner. He's won at every level. Go look at his stats. This kid is amazing and Brian Anderson, or Tyler Anderson, whatever his name is, Anderson, who came from the Rockies, not Brian, um, he's having an unbelievable year. But can he sustain that Mm -hmm. in the postseason because we have seen inconsistencies of him over his career, right? So we have question marks in play with a couple pitching staffs, and we know in the postseason we pulled the trigger quick on getting them out there. So again, I think when we look top to bottom, I think Houston's number one right now.
0: Thanks, Shots. Let's catch up before the end of the summer. It's been too long. Thanks for doing this. All right, buddy. Later. Take care, Josh. Josh Towers over at VEASAN, former big leaguer who lives here in town. And on cue, Houston just beat the Yankees 3-2 in game one of a doubleheader. I would not be shocked if the Yankees get swept today. Houston, as Josh said, I think they have the Yankees number. Uh, Yankees still have a better record this year, but now uh, Houston is three behind the Yankees after taking game one there. We talked baseball and a little bit later on, we got some sound from Steph Curry at the ESPYs last night. If you're joining us late, if you got a chance to see that. I'm not a big ESPYs guy, but I thought Steph did a good job. We got a lot of Steph fans who listen to this show because they're Raider fans and they're Warrior fans. So I am sitting here at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. I think this is a big day. It is for me uh, to be at my first Josh McDaniels press conference today, to be out at practice, to see the energy around this organization, the amount of media that is here. Tough to get a parking spot today. Because everyone from NFL Network to ESPN, other crews that are here today, because the Raiders reporting first. So the first of the NFL content that we're seeing out there around the league is the Raiders and Jacksonville coming as they're playing in the game. Uh, Kyler Murray agrees to a $230 million deal. $160 million of that is guaranteed. And the Niners gave Jimmy Garoppolo the okay to seek a trade. Damon Bruce will join us tomorrow. Uh, From 95-7, the game up there, because, again, we're in a content part of the year, still here in the summer, and the biggest story in the NFL was Kyler Murray today and Jimmy Garoppolo being being available in a trade. And that's going to be a big Raiders story, because as Vinny Bonsignor pointed out beautifully, if you missed that in the first hour, really the silver lining this year is that the Raiders are facing. I gave you the first five quarterbacks they're facing. It's pretty tough. But they do have quarterbacks later in the season, midway point in the season to later in the year, that they should be able to beat. As Vinny mentioned, Trevor Lawrence, Jameis Winston, Matt Ryan, who's on the way back end. He's way past his prime. He's not a he's still a good player, but he's not in the prime of his career. you got to win that game. you got to win the Ryan Tannehill game if you can. And then if you t- play Trey Lance, if he's the quarterback at the end of the year because Jimmy Garoppolo's gone, Derek Carr's got to beat Trey Lance. I don't care if they play that in a parking lot in Santa Clara or here in Vegas, and it's here in Vegas. Carr has the ability to dominate a game like that because he's a veteran and he can get it done. So I do look at these quarterback matchups, and Derek Carr is right there with everybody. Also, Kyle Rudolph is joining Tom Brady in Tampa. That's a big deal because Gronk is retiring, and Rudolph's a two-time pro bowler, and he's going to play with Brady. Because Brady needs a really good tight end, and he gets that. The Browns are working out Josh Rosen and A.J. McCarron because they're waiting on a decision that's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. So a lot is happening as we speak here, as we are brought to you by Modelo. Oh, the fighting spirit of Modelo. Whenever I think of Modelo, I also think of Jim Plunkett. And Jim Plunkett's going to join us on Tuesday. Hey, let me tell you, I told you we were going to do the countdown for Cliff Ranch. Monday, Fred Bolitnikoff. Tuesday, Jim Plunkett. That's not bad. Two of the great icons of this franchise gonna join me exclusively, not to talk about them, but to talk about their friend Cliff Branch. JT, hope you're enjoying it today. Q's coming up. He's got a big show lined up. You can follow all of our guest lists by downloading the app and also following us on Raider Nation Radio.
1: Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world. Now, Las Vegas is the sports capital of the world. Mm-hmm. So professional football and professional hockey. So, and then uh, it, it maybe one day, you can they will have, they have Major League Baseball because you're going to have professional basketball here. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be here and it's, it's going to be a sports capital of the world.
0: Look at Clifford Branch calling Vegas soon to be a sports capital of the world. And we do say, You know, the entertainment capital of the world, and it could be a mecca down the road for sports. You know, more and more as I have lived here on and off, but mostly since 1996 when I came out here, it was a boxing town and a very underrated NASCAR town. I I talk a lot of NASCAR, as you know. I love NASCAR. Uh, Maury Brown's going to join us tomorrow. He's also a Forbes insider. We're going to talk football. He was the one to break the story about NASCAR going to Chicago on the streets and all this. When we have NASCAR here in Vegas, it's the largest attended sporting event, I think, west of Austin, Texas. I'm talking anywhere, including the L.A., everywhere. So we have a massive event here with NASCAR coming during the playoffs. Uh, The other news today that I want to get to quickly is Lamar Jackson isn't holding out. But what is he going to do for this contract now? Now that Kyler Murray signed his extension today, what is the starting number? What's the starting number for Lamar Jackson? I think it should be $230 bucks. I think that's where it should start, and I think he deserves to get it. Antonio in Modesto, you're up next on the Raider flagship. Hello.
1: Hey, JT. Man, I know you're wrapping it up real quick. Hey, um, I, what I'm looking for is I'm really curious to see how Josh handles the preseason. Mm-hmm. I know last year D.C. did get no stamps at all. Um, I don't know if he's going to give him a couple little, maybe one drive or so, but I'm curious to see that. Um, I'm excited. The offense, I think we are just got to build on offense. We can get to the defense, you know, sometime mm. next week. We know with the edge, the guys on the edge. But I wanted to tell you, because I had the opportunity last night to have dinner with George Beeler. Um, he mm. told me he was invited to, uh, he's going to be in um, Las Vegas in a couple weeks. Mark invited him. And of course, he played from 70 to 79 with a uh, mm. great Archel, player, Al so, And So I hope you can get him on the air, man. He We, had, we put down a couple, couple beers, and he ate like a 32 ounce ribeye. So. Mm. Um, it, was a, it was a great time. He had a lot of Cliff Branch stories. So I wanted to share that, and hopefully when he gets into town, maybe you could bump into him and get him on the air. I do. He's a great guy to talk to, man.
0: Up yeah, up thank you for there. saying that. He was one of the toughest. He has some of the biggest hands and great offensive linemen, and that was great. He always wore a cowboy hat when I met him initially. And uh, one of the Raider rallies that we had or Raider preseasons we did, George Jackson and I, thanks for the call, sat out on the 50-yard line at the Oakland Coliseum in director's chairs, and we were interviewing alumni, and we interviewed him. And he was a hell of a player, and he will be there. The Raiders have two massive events coming up in August. Canton, Ohio, where they'll play in the game. They'll salute Cliff Branch and Richard Seymour. And then they have their alumni weekend, which is the biggest in all of sports. There's no NBA team. NBA team, forget about it. Joke. You know, even the Yankees who have, you know, a great event when they call it Old Timers Day. Nothing compared to what the Raiders are doing. So the biggest... Turnout for anything that the Raiders do is Alumni Weekend. Now, that used to be up in Napa. Obviously, we're not in Napa anymore. We're here at this beautiful facility. But that's going to be a big weekend. So that coincides, Alumni Weekend, with the Patriots preseason game. It's really weird that the Raiders are playing the Patriots in the preseason and playing them in the regular season. Same could be said about Jacksonville with the Hall of Fame game. But the Hall of Fame, we luck out because Cliff Branch and Seymour are going to be there. So that's good because the Raiders will be there. And then Jacksonville gets Tony Baselli in, and he's always a good interview. Always enjoyed talking to him. I mentioned Vinny's column, really good to read at the training camp preview. New leadership creates a new vibe. You know, every year the veterans get in front of the microphone at training camp. No matter who the coach is, they always talk about the culture. Hey, the culture is this. We're going to get here. We're going to be the first in the building, last to leave. They say that every year. But this year it's something different. It seems like, and here's here's my take, and I hope it's right. If it's not, you know where to find me. I think that the veterans who are locked in, like Max and Carr and those players, Renfro just got a contract extension, they're always all in. The other players who are all in but are playing for their contracts, no guarantees. Even Darren Waller, no guarantee. I think he's gonna get paid, you think he's gonna get paid, but there's no guarantees in life. They're all here. Josh Jacobs did not have his fifth-year option picked up. He's here. I saw him today walk right by me, smiling, laughing, having a good time. He looked great, really in shape. And then the rookies who are here, this is the first time they're seeing a culture, the first time these undrafted and drafted rookies have ever been to a training camp with veterans. This is not OTAs. This is real training camp. And to see some of the young players today walk around, you could just tell their heads were on a swivel. Their head was on a swivel looking for the coaches, the GM, the players who are here today, and everybody's in a damn good mood and excited about this. I think the Raiders are going to have a chip on their shoulder this year. I think there's enough disrespect floating around the league for a team that won 10 games and went to the playoffs and almost beat the AFC champs, and I'm not sensing the Raiders are getting the respect that they deserve. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that helps drive them here in the offseason and gets them going here in the preseason. But I can tell you this, everybody, it's a real long season starting today. This is long. Look at your watch. Look at your clock. Look at your calendar. It's July 21st, 2022. And this thing hopefully goes into February, at least January, and deep into January. It was a tremendously long offseason. It just felt longer. There was a lot that happened around the organization this past year. There's a new GM. There's a new head coach. There's a new president. And we're all behind him, wishing him the best so this organization can keep building for the future and an opportunity to win a championship. Mark Davis is in the building today. Everybody's walking around here like it's the first day of school and it means something. And I'm really thrilled that they let me in here as always. Give me this great studio. Q's outside. He's coming in right now, and he's going to have a big show. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together, Eddie Pascal, Vinny Bonsignor, and my good friend Josh Towers. Nice to get him on to talk baseball, as I am cranky Yankee as they lose game one of the doubleheader. Have a great week. We're on tomorrow for an hour. Out of town for a quick one. Back Monday, you can hear me on SiriusXM Sunday through Thursday night or Wednesday night, excuse me, Sunday through Wednesday night. I'm rolling, man. It's good to be here. Thanks to all of our partners. Have a great day, everybody, and welcome to training camp on the flagship of the Silver and Black.